0: Amen. You may be seated this morning. going to dismiss our children as well as they head downstairs. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. I want you to grab your Bibles right away today. Open up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in a particular section of Scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount. And a particular section within that called the Beatitudes. So let's open up there. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 6 and then take a pause for just a moment. Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 6. Listen to what Matthew records. He says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the word of the Lord, amen? Amen. These are the first four Beatitudes. Uh, depending on who you read, uh, there'll be eight or nine Beatitudes. Well, we're going with eight, okay? So this is the first four Beatitudes, and we're kind of at a halfway point here. And as we have said thus far, when we read these Beatitudes, we're a little bit put back on our heels. Uh, we're surprised at who Jesus says is blessed it's it's people that we would least expect now again I want to be very careful it may even seem like a broken record and repetitive but I want to be careful as we approach this section of Scripture so that we don't get off on the wrong track here because these uh, this uh, section of Scripture can easily just feel like a list right we're going through a list and and I don't know about you but I kind of define my weeks and days by lists because I'm so unorganized, so I try to get organized. And, and I don't know about you, but when I get myself in the list, I kind of start to miss the point. And so my fear for us as we're in this particular section as we're just going week in, week out. We got this list of uh, descriptions of who are the blessed people. And so I want to be careful to define again What Jesus means by blessed and what uh, really is going on in these Beatitudes. So please, just hang in there with me as I I try to keep us on the right path. First of all, these Beatitudes are not commands. Not explicitly. Okay? It would be easy for us to think that this is like a, hey you, be poor in spirit. Hey you, be meek. Hey you... Mourn a lot over your sin. Hey, you, make sure you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, implicitly, yes, right? Uh, Especially because Jesus is saying that these particular people are blessed. But explicitly, these are not commands. So don't receive them as that, at least primarily. And secondly, I want to be very careful that we don't treat these beatitudes as like moral qualities that we are trying to manufacture in our life so that someday God will approve of us. Very important. We're not telling you, hey, if you want God to love you and approve of you, make sure you are X, Y, and Z. Make sure you're poor in spirit, man. If you want God to love you, make sure you're meek. Try hard, do better. That is not what these Beatitudes primarily are. Remember, the Beatitude is a pronouncement. It's a declaration of a blessing. As we start this long section all the way to June in the Sermon on the Mount, there's all this teaching from the New Moses teaching his new covenant people about a new kingdom and a new way to live. And he's starting this out by blessing, right? By by pronouncing a blessing upon people, this community, those who live in his kingdom. And when he's pronouncing a blessing, he's meaning to say, you're blessed, meaning you are happily living in, In the joy of my approval. You have my approval. I want you to hear that. It's very important. You have my approval. That's what it means to be blessed. You are approved. You live in the joy and the blessing of my approval. And that goes so counter cultural. The way we think. Especially when it comes to spirituality. And religion. And relationship with God. It's always we try really hard we're relatively nice people. We develop certain nice qualities. And then we live in the hope that someday, if there really is a God, that He will accept us when we see Him in glory. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. That is not what these beatitudes are. These are blessings. Pronouncements of such. These are not commands explicitly. and These are not moral qualities that we just try really hard To develop. It's about living in the kingdom of God. Those who will uh, enjoy the approval and happiness therein. So please hear that. It's very important for us to start there and stay there. Don't miss it. So I'm hearing these beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And and as I'm engaging these Beatitudes, I have like a mixture of emotions. I don't know about you. Like there's, again, in the surprise, recognizing my own inadequacy and my need for God, and I'm hearing, yes, if you come to Him bankrupt, you're blessed. Like, amen. The bankrupt in spirit are the blessed of God. Like that that gets me excited. That gives me joy to know that that it's not because I have this this storehouse of good works and merit. So I'm interacting with these and I'm overjoyed. I'm excited. I'm pleased. I'm grateful as I hear these pronouncements. I trust you are as well. That it gives you great hope. But at the same time, I'm I'm a little bit challenged by these qualities and these characteristics. In many ways, I'm exposed. It causes an evaluation of my life, my heart in relationship to God. And as we see today, it's not only causing that in relationship to God, but there's also a shift that's taking place in the Beatitudes. As we head into the second half, we see a shift that we turn, uh, uh, at least subtly, away from our relationship to God. It's, not, it's very interconnected, so please hear that. But into, now, our relationship to others. How we treat others. We understand what Jesus says about the great commandment, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what else? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so we see a transition now to verse 7. Here's what he says in verse 7. And we start it this morning. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. So we ask the question again today. Who does Jesus say is blessed? The answer is. Those who are merciful. For they shall receive mercy. And so again. Again understanding that Jesus is describing those who are blessed, those who live in the joy of his approval, it leads me again to an evaluation. And I wonder if that would be the case for you this morning. Am I merciful? Am I blessed? To answer that question, we have to define mercy. What is mercy? Jesus says, "Blessed are the merciful, but what does mercy mean? It's very important because I think in today's world, there can be so many different ways to define mercy, to explain it and understand what mercy is. Must be careful to say that mercy is not primarily just being nice. right? Some people would just think that mercy. Being merciful just means being nice in all circumstances. It's not primarily meaning that that's a sweet person. Or that's a softy. Right? We we might think that uh, if we're into Karate Kid, right? Mercy's for the what? Weak? Am I just old? Has anyone seen? My son has seen Karate Kid. If you have not seen Karate Kid, please see Karate Kid please, today. Mercy is for the weak. Right? That you're soft. You're weak. I think so many of us might think that way. Uh, Or or just simply caring. Uh, Mercy is not ignoring or accepting wrongdoing or sin. Right? We've got to be careful to never divorce mercy from truth. That would be uh, a big a grave mistake in understanding what mercy is mercy is not simply a feeling Of what other people feel That's empathy You know what i'm talking about when you can when, when someone's hurting and you you can enter in and share in their experience You feel what they feel that's empathy. That's not mercy primarily You see mercy includes a response Mercy includes an action Good friend sent me a Thomas Watson quote uh, actually not too long ago, last night, defining mercy. He says, This, what is meant by mercifulness? I answer, It is a melting disposition whereby we lay to heart the miseries of others and are ready on all occasions to be instruments for their good. Disposition, a melting disposition. We lay to heart the miseries of others, feeling. We feel what they feel, but it doesn't stop there, right? And are ready on all occasions to be instrumental for their good. Action. Feeling that leads to action. That's mercy. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this as he talks about the difference between grace and mercy. This might be helpful for you. He says, grace is especially associated with men in their sins. Talk about God's grace. It's associated with men in their sins. But mercy is especially associated with men in their misery. It's not separated from sin. Often it can just simply be a, a, a feeling that leads to action in reference to how people are dealing with the consequences of sin. Their condition, their state their misery. Maybe the simplest way to put it is this, as I thought about it, kind of summarizing what everybody was saying, how do you define mercy? It's on the one hand pity, it's, it's a feeling, and on the other hand it's an action. If you just act, it's not really pure mercy. If you just feel, it's not mercy. You got to do something about it. It's a pity that leads to an action. You follow me? You see someone in their state. You're able to enter into their experience. You're sorrowful to the extent that you actually now do something about it. That's mercy from a biblical perspective. And now if you think of of pity and action, maybe you cross it with two particular areas where scripture talks about Often, we're going to talk just briefly about a few examples. Is not only is it pity plus action, but it's sins. It's in the pity plus action in the realm of sins and needs. Pity plus action, sin and needs. Hopefully, that's helpful. So, maybe you could summarize the definitions by saying that mercy is pity plus action in response to someone's sin and need. That's biblical mercy. Well, maybe defining it it seems too uh, didactic. Maybe we need to see it demonstrated. Well, the good news is that Scripture teaches us and demonstrates mercy. We talked about it this summer in our series, uh, Diagnosis. You remember, we asked the question, are you a quicker forgiver? We went to Matthew chapter 18 and looked at the parable of the unforgiving or the wicked servant. Do you remember that? Remember you have this king that wants to settle accounts. And he goes to this one servant that owes him like a gazillion years of wages. Big time bucks that he could never pay back. And the the, the servant comes to him begging him, pleading with him. And what does the king do? The king out of his mercy forgives the debt. This immense debt. And then this slave uh, or servant walks out and he goes and he finds a fellow servant that owes him like 25 bucks, you know, relative to the large amount of uh, resources that he was uh, forgiven of. And the, the fellow servant begs him, he gets on his knees and he says, Please, I'll pay you back. I promise. Forgive me. And what does the servant do? He refuses. And he throws his fellow servant in jail and demanded that he make payment. And the king finds out about it. And what does he ask him in Matthew chapter 18 verse 33? He says, should you not have shown mercy? Should you not have shown mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And that parable was an illustration of the way in which God forgives us. Wiping away a debt that we could never pay. He does so on the basis of His mercy, not because we deserve it. And then what happens is, right, the, uh, we're, we're called by, by the Lord in receiving such mercy to go and to now forgive the sins of others. The mercy that we receive enables us to give that same mercy. And so, uh, forgiving sin, right, is a primary way that we extend mercy to one another. We see this in the Lord's Prayer, which we're going to talk about in a couple months. The Lord's Prayer, right? Which says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or have also forgiven our debtors. There's a connection between receiving mercy for forgiveness and giving mercy for forgiveness. The example that I think I even used this summer that, that I think exemplifies the kind of mercy that we're talking about here is one that it must have just been so riveting at the time that it's become so unforgettable for me. Maybe you uh, remember me sharing this story before that um, in the late 90s, there was a, a close friend of our family, the Bear family, where they were away on vacation. And uh, this was out in like Lysander Beeville. Is that Lysander? That's Lysander out there. It's like towards Plainville. And um, Bruce Bear, uh, his older elderly parents were living there at the house on the farm. And uh, while they were away, uh, and also the husband was at a Bible study... That uh, two robbers came to the house and brutally murdered this old woman, and uh, it was a real sad tragedy and just such an injustice and so unnecessary. And you can imagine the kind of pain and agony that Bruce Bear felt, knowing that his sweet mother, who of course knew the Lord, Amen, uh, uh, was was brutally murdered uh, just uh, for basically some chump change. At their house and the trial they found the guy they put him on trial he was found guilty and then uh the the family has their moment where they're able to speak to the person who's found guilty uh, i think is that at sentencing jared at sentencing always good to have a D, old an xda in the house um yeah at sentencing the family has a chance to share and uh, we were all just awestruck by uh what bruce bear said To this man that had brutally murdered his wife. He looked. After saying how difficult it was. To lose his mother. He looked at him square in the eyes. And said to this man. We want to tell you. That we forgive you. We can say this with sincerity. Because we have received. God's forgiveness. For the wrong things we have done. I'll never forget that. Totally wrecked me and showed me what biblical mercy is and how we exhibit it towards one another, where we recognize the forgiveness that we have received and extend it to one another. And so, in in asking the question this morning, am I merciful? Am I blessed? we're asking the question, am I forgiving the sins of others? Am I forgiving the sins of others? Am I forgiving the sin of my spouse? Am I holding on in harshness, in bitterness? So often we've sadly walked through moments with couples whereby they have really struggled to exemplify and reciprocate God's mercy toward one another in the context of the home. You would think that a covenant bond like marriage would be a place where mercy is constantly exhibited, constantly given and received. But it's often the case where it is the most difficult relationship and environment where mercy is given as such and received as such. So my encouragement to you today is to hear this blessing and seek the Lord for mercy in the midst of your marriage, no matter how deep the pain, without minimizing it, no matter how difficult it has been to turn to the Lord and seek Him for the mercy required, mercy to give. How about at church? You know, pastor for almost 16 years, man, you would think you find mercy at church, It's sometimes, and I even feel it in my own heart, a lack of mercy in the midst of a covenant people. In the midst of God's people, we have often lacked mercy toward one another, haven't we? Been harsh with our words and our actions, with our time, our emotion, our perspectives. So often we see it missing. Often in our extended family, we see uh, over the holidays, for sure, people that struggle to give and extend mercy. An old friend that has offended you, that you've written off. You said no more, we're done. We struggle with mercy. Maybe the Lord in this moment is reminding you of the blessedness of being merciful. The Spirit of God is prompting you to do so even now to forgive the sins of others, that sin that you are struggling to forgive and continue to hold on to, the one that hurts, yes, because oftentimes the hurt is deep with the closest relationships that we have, isn't it? It's closer to home pain. And I pray that the Lord would give you the mercy to forgive, because those. Who forgive are merciful. And those who are merciful live live in the hope of mercy. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Those who forgive are blessed. And they live in the hope of mercy. But not only forgiveness of sin. But also in response to other people's needs. You think about another parable. The parable of the good Samaritan. Right, This guy uh, goes out on a journey and is attacked by robbers. And uh, uh, along the road comes a priest who sees him and goes another way. Then a Levite comes and goes another way. People you would think who would know and understand mercy are the ones that are now neglecting to give it. And then Jesus goes on to say that a Samaritan, the least expected, is the one who comes and uh, takes care of this person who was robbed and, and nurses his wounds and puts him up in a hotel and cares for him and pays for the wage and continues to show mercy to the man's need. And Jesus asks the question to the people that are listening. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the answer was given to those who heard it. They said the one who showed mercy. That's the one who was loving his neighbor. The Samaritan. Not the priest, not the Levite, but the Samaritan. He's the one who showed mercy. He's the one that responded to the need of another with sacrificial giving, mercy, who didn't look at a situation and say, that's a them issue. But looked at a situation and said, that's a me issue. And God has put me in this person's path. Helped me come become aware of their need in such a way to, pro, to prompt merciful response to care for them. How about the blind beggar in Luke chapter 18? Where he comes to Jesus at his, at his knees and says, What? He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He does it a second time. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's blind and he's begging in his state. And what does Jesus do in that moment? He's merciful. He has pity in such a way to act. And the, the Bible tells us that Jesus healed the man of his condition. Pity plus action in response to someone's need. I can't help but point out their example to me over the years. My my grandparents who you know that have always uh, sacrificed their own joys and pleasures in this life. So that they can be available to the needs of others. They always counted a favor to to step in and uh, uh, make provision for someone who is in need. It was sometimes financial. It was oftentimes just simply acts of service and time. I can't help but think of my mother who exemplified mercy and continues to, as to the best of her ability, to those who are elderly and sick. I think oftentimes we neglect this duty in our community to think about those who are in a state of of just total inadequacy and complete dependency and are often sidelined and marginalized in our in our world and feel so alone. My mother has always exemplified to me a mercy toward those who are, are, are elderly and those who are sick. And to watch how she excels in those environments has always amazed me. It's biblical mercy on display. That's what it is. How about in my father's kitchen? Does anybody know that organization in our community? Yeah. John Tamino Left Osti. A successful restaurant. Why? To make food for the homeless. And I'm pretty sure he knows every homeless person by name in central New York. And to see how God continues to use him... To be merciful to those who are homeless and hungry. It's a blessing to see. I think about our benevolence fund here at church. Which you give to. Why is it there? To respond to the needs of our church and our community. And it's just an amazing way that we're able to be available to people in their need. It's a ministry of mercy. We talk about 20 schemes. This, this church planting network In Scotland, what are they doing? They see the state of their nation. They understand the poverty and the mental health issues. And they understand that the greatest solution is gospel-centered mercy ministry. And they have given their lives now to bringing this mercy to their community. And that's why we continue to invest in them. Because blessed are the merciful. That's mercy. I think about Serve Syracuse and all the organizations under leadership of Adam Brago down at Missio and Lou Brago, his father. What is that all about? It It is mercy to central New York, mercy to Onondaga County. What about the Every Child Initiative, which is promoting foster care and adoption? We're looking at over 400 foster kids in the system that have no home, no family, And what are people doing because of the mercy of God? What are they doing? They're saying, yeah, we will inconvenience our lives because of their state. Their issue's a me issue. And Bernie and Kristen Elliott have exemplified that. They continue to adopt not just children, but special needs children that nobody wants. It's an act of mercy. I'm grateful for their example, and it causes me to evaluate am I merciful? Right, Because mercy is pity plus action in response to sin and need. That's what mercy is. We can call it something different, but that's what it is. So are you generous to the needs of others? Are you generous to the needs of others? But we must be careful now to not just exemplify and define mercy by what we do. If we really want to understand mercy... We look at the nature and the work of God in Jesus Christ. And you really, you trace the Bible, you trace the story of the scriptures. And so many people in our world think it's just a story of like religious rules and judgmentalism that promotes like crazy people. That's not the story of the Bible at all. The story of the Bible is mercy from beginning to end. A merciful God that sees our state. And who does something about it in Jesus Christ. We know God is merciful because when He revealed Himself to Moses in Exodus 34, the Bible tells us that that this is what He proclaimed. The Lord to Moses. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Our God that we worship is a merciful God. If you want to know mercy, look to God. He is merciful. And how is He demonstrating that mercy? In Christ. God is acting mercifully all the way through the Bible. And you find its climax, its pinnacle in Christ. Where God Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. That it is mercy that has united us to Christ. Not merit. Not our own works. But the mercy of God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's 1 Peter 3. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. Our new birth is a work of mercy and work of God. Titus 3, 4 through 7. It's like one of my faves. I I, I think I quote it every week. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Hashtag Advent. When the goodness... And loving kindness of God our savior appeared that's Jesus when he appeared guess what he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy salvation comes by mercy God's mercy That's the greatest definition and demonstration. And so understand this. Mercy is inherent to the nature of God. And it's revealed in the work of God in history through Jesus Christ. Who secured for us that which we needed in our state of sin and death. And being an enemy of God. That Jesus came and mercifully acted. Sacrificially said that issue... I'm going to make my issue. I'm going to carry the weight. I'm going to carry the burden. I'm going to carry their sin. So as to save them from it. That's an act of mercy. Mercy is primarily revealed in the nature and the work of God in Jesus Christ. So before we even talk really about uh, any mercy in us. There must be a mercy given to us. And I think that's very important to note. Especially because this beatitude can be completely misunderstood. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. You may say wait a minute. Wait a minute. Does that mean that our mercy becomes conditional to receiving mercy? I'm going to give you three guesses to the answer to that question. Okay, let me ask it a different way. Do we now merit mercy by being merciful? I'm going to give you three, three possible answers, okay? Are you ready? A, no. B, no. C, no. Pick one. No. Let's not be silly. Let's not be silly. Let's not miss. The point of this altogether, that is not how to interpret this particular beatitude. That if we can manufacture mercy, then God will be merciful. If we are merciful, then we merit mercy. As if mercy becomes a work in us that God will then approve us later. No, that is not it. That is not what you see. That's not how we understand it. We must understand what is going on here. That recipients become instruments. That if you receive mercy truly, you begin to give mercy freely. If you receive mercy, you give mercy. And if you receive mercy and give mercy, you live in the hope of receiving mercy. That really, our life, from beginning to end, just like the scriptures, our salvation is a matter of mercy from beginning to end, and in the middle. Mercy: received, constantly received, given and then received. So in some ways, what we see here is that mercy is motivated in us when we look back on mercy. I received mercy that we continually receive mercy every day, praying that that historic Jesus prayer, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. It's been a prayer for like 1,600 years. And we sing it, we sing about it. There's actually a new song that I really like by Matt Boswell, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. We, we, We pray it and we constantly receive it in such a way to now represent it And give it to others. And as we receive it. And continually receive it. We give it. And then we live in the sure hope. Of reward. Just by the nature of the definition of mercy. We cannot earn it. Let's think about it that way. (laughs) You can't merit mercy. It no longer becomes mercy. It's now a wage. You follow me? That's. The key. So God's mercy makes us merciful. If we truly receive it, we'll freely give it. And yet, even now you're like, yeah, but sometimes I'm not. I'm with you. Let's not forget, this is ever-increasing. Poor in spirit. Mourning. Right? Right? Um, um, What's the third one? Meekness. Hungering and thirsty for righteousness. Sometimes we don't. Each week we're admitting, yeah, sometimes I'm not there. Oftentimes I'm struggling. I still battle the flesh. Sometimes I'm not merciful. We're there. Let's confess it. Let's admit it. Let's come to God poor in spirit. Let's ask for mercy. Lord, have mercy. Sometimes we're not. But in increasing ways, true receivers of mercy become instruments of mercy. That's just how it works. And I love the way Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about this. He asks a simple question and I think I'll throw it out there to you. He says, does it not follow inevitably? I'll say that again. Does it not follow inevitably that if I have seen and experienced all that, all that meaning the saving mercy of God in Jesus Christ, if I have seen it, And I've experienced it. It's grabbed a hold of me. Does it not inevitably follow. That my attitude towards everybody else. Must be completely and entirely changed. Does it not inevitably follow. If I've been truly. Captivated and saved. By the mercy of God in Christ. Does it not follow inevitably. That I'm totally transformed in the way that I deal with others specifically their sins and their needs does it not follow inevitably is that not what God's mercy does to us it's so powerful and rich that it radically transforms not just our relationship with God but our relationship to other people specifically when they sin against us and offend us and specifically when we see their need Does it not follow inevitably that we change, that we respond to their sin with forgiveness? Does it not inevitably follow that we respond to their suffering with sympathy? Does it not inevitably follow that we respond to their need with generosity? I think it does. Increasingly, inevitably, God's mercy to us, God's mercy through us. Recipients are instruments. Those who truly receive are those who freely give. And it's those who receive, keep receiving, and are giving are those that can live in the expectation of a future mercy when they look at Jesus on Judgment Day. It's giving us hope here, people. Blessed are the merciful For they shall receive mercy. Does it not inevitably follow? (laughs) That if they receive mercy, and they keep receiving mercy, and they extend mercy. Does it not inevitably follow that they will receive mercy? Does it not inevitably follow that if God has given you new birth by mercy, that he will give you glory by mercy? That when you stand before him one day, that his work of salvation, which is all based on mercy will carry to its fruition and total consummation its perfect fitting end according to the will of God. Does it not inevitably follow that those who receive mercy will receive mercy? That those who give mercy that they've received are those who receive it in the end? John Piper says we receive mercy at the judgment if trusting Christ's mercy has made us merciful. I think that just wraps the whole thing up and again it goes to show you that living in the joy of God's approval it's a matter of mercy from beginning to end and in the middle living in the blessing living in the joy of God's approval is a matter of mercy from beginning and end and everything in between it's all about mercy All about mercy. It's all about Christ. Mercy motivates mercy. So today, here's a simple thing I want to say. Remember mercy. Look back on what Christ has done for you. Contemplate it. Meditate it. Reflect on Christ's mercy applied to you. And then extend it. Give it. Mercy motivates mercy. And then live in the hope of it, right? Such hope Jesus gives those who are merciful. Remember, reflect, anticipate. Because living in the joy of God's approval is a matter of mercy from beginning to end. And everything in between. Amen? Let's pray together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus speaks to us of blessings. He pronounces them on specific people. And we hear those blessings. And yet, as we hear your word and consider your nature and your work in Christ, it's us that turn back to you and say, Blessed are you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless His holy name. Forget not your benefits. There's so many. You forgive our sin. You heal our diseases. You redeem our life from the pit. You crown us with steadfast love and mercy. And our youth is renewed like the eagles. We praise you that you are slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love. You are gracious and compassionate. As a father has compassion on children. So do you. Have compassion on us. Oh God praise you. For your mercy. All God's people said, amen. Let's stand and sing.